One. So welcome to another episode of PowerCast today and absolute pleasure to have uh, Ryan Phillips on the podcast who has had a massive life-changing experience with me, I would say, I can't remember what it was, probably two years ago uh, when I initially came to see you for my horrendously flat feet. Was that two years ago? It was, yeah, it was about two years ago. Yep. Um, so a lot of you guys who know me well have followed me for a while. My flat feet is something that I've been trying to... Uh, tackle almost for like the entirety of my life and it's been an ongoing issue and uh, I discovered MAT initially from a podcast with Ben Pekulski, I think Eric Seifert, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, which then led me to look up and, and get referred by Eric to Ryan directly uh, who has had an awesome awesome impact on me personally. So hence why we have Ryan on the show because I want to discuss a bit more about MAT, what he does and how this can potentially help you and add huge amounts of value to you as well. So uh, if we give us a little synopsis of who you are, Ryan, what you do and what MAT is. Yeah, sure. So um, I got into the personal training industry in 2004. Um, after a couple of years, really starting to develop a frustration around, you know, not being able to help certain people with certain exercises. And this all came down to these muscle imbalances and this muscle inhibition thing. Um, so that's kind of what led me into the whole MAT world, um, which I started, yeah, it's probably about 14, 15 years ago. So that's, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I transitioned into it. And uh, for anyone who's not aware of MAT, do you want to give us a, a bit of an explanation of what it is? Sure. So MAT stands for Muscle Activation Techniques, and it's a non-medical form of manual therapy um, that's designed to identify uh, muscle imbalances and to treat them. Cool. And in terms of obviously one of the things that's spoken about a lot with um, MAT is in terms of uh, activating muscles. And that's obviously something that's thrown around a lot in the fitness and training world and rehab world. How does MAT differ from that? So, yeah. Um, the word or the phrase muscle activation is used by trainers, physios. Pro sites of like, do, do a cable fly for do chest, activate your chest. Exactly, exactly. And we've got to do those glute bridges right to get the glutes activated before we hit those deadlifts. So um, the, the sort of difference is that it, it's all about potentiation, okay, and, and, and eliciting um, this, this, this potentiation response in the muscle. So if you, let's say, you do a glute bridge and you do a, a – an isometric, or you do these traditional activating exercises, you're going to have a potentiation effect in the muscle. So therefore, you, you are going to make it stronger for a moment, okay? But that increase in force output is only going to be temporary. It's not going to last very long. Um, so yes, there is some truth in that you do a muscle activation maneuver or something, and you're going to get some activation in the muscle. Um, but it's different to what we do with muscle activation techniques, with muscle activation techniques, we're eliciting a more deeper level of muscle activation um, that's going to last for longer than just doing the kind of glute bridge. And, and, you know, it's, and it's a lot more specific as well, um, whereas most of these activation exercises are just activating a whole bunch of stuff together. Um, whereas with MAT, we're getting right down to a muscle-by-muscle muscle, uh, basis and activating the individual muscles um, as opposed to a, a group of muscles together. Yeah, so like an example would be, for example, people will try and activate their quadriceps or quads or however you want to pronounce it, whereas you would be able to activate the individual elements of your quads, for example. Yeah, basically, yeah. To sort of break it down. 
And obviously, like you, you've had a huge impact with me. So when I think I initially came to you, which was probably about two years ago, uh, I was in orthotics, had really a lot of issues from having flat feet. And it was quite eye-opening that literally my feet were not functioning at all. And is, is that quite a regular thing you see happen? It, it is fairly common. I mean, you were at a, a sort of quite a advanced stage of dysfunction in your feet, right? Um, you've been in orthotics for what? 15 plus years 20 yeah. years so so it's a you know it's a long-standing it's been a long-standing issue for you um but yeah we see that a lot with people uh, that come into the clinic um that have got a lot of dysfunction in the feet um and that then creates this web of compensation all the way up the entire system um so the mechanics at the feet affecting the knee and the hip and the spine and all the way up to the occiput so you know um yeah, we do see a lot of dysfunction in, in, in feet. Um, and I think it's down to the fact that, you know, when we're born, what, what do our parents do, right? They put us in socks and shoes, right, straight away. So our feet and toes can't reflexively um, map out the uh, area around and uh, develop these memory maps. Uh, so we just develop dysfunction right from day one. Um, it's literally like you put a cast on your arm if you break your arm and uh, six weeks later you take the cast off and there's just just the bone left right the muscles have atrophied um so imagine a lifetime of um shoes you know which is basically a cast for your foot um especially with all the technology we have now in, the, in footwear you know all the uh, you know orthotics and the uh, motion control and torsion bars and, and arch supports and all this kind of stuff uh, that goes into the the, the, the shoes uh, nowadays it's literally like having the foot in a cast um and we wonder why we have issues with our muscles and our feet <laughs> later on in life would like and the thing is i find quite scary about this is a the respectfully shit advice that's given out there by 99 percent of like physios and medical professionals and also that like so many people have these issues and give up and aren't aware that there's a way to fix it um which is part of the reason why i'm so keen to get you on the podcast to try and explain a little bit more about how these things can help people because obviously it's not just with your feet there's muscles all over the bodies where people are having postural issues they're seeing a chiropractor all the time seeing a physio all the time to try and deal with things where it's not actually they're almost putting like a plaster over the issue rather than trying to fix it if that makes sense yeah totally um so what, what would you say is the big difference obviously like a lot of people will ask this the difference between what you do between a physiotherapist like osteo chiros who can often like almost beat the shit out of people a little bit and then people feel better for maybe a day and then it goes back to how they were yeah so i think the differences that with, with mat um is kind of stage one mat has to happen first before physio right um we need to get the muscles firing and activated first and then we can go through a traditional rehab program of strengthening and whatever else you want to do um and it's that initial stage that mat provides that's that's skipped it's, it's kind of the missing link in the in the rehab process so people are just jumping straight into to strengthening exercises um and if that muscle's inhibited it's not going to respond to those strengthening exercises what will happen is surrounding muscles will compensate so you'll get the strong muscles compensating and getting stronger and the weak and inhibited muscles staying weak and actually manage to magnify the imbalance over time. So this compensation pattern that you're developing, 
you're going to get stronger at whatever exercise you're doing, right? The traditional sort of, you know, banded external rotation thing, yeah, to work the rotator cuff, right? If that infraspinatus is inhibited, it's going to be a whole bunch of other stuff that's going to be doing that motion, posterior delt, et cetera. And it's that that's going to be getting stronger over time, which it's really tricky, right? Because it's, it lulls you into a false sense of progress. Because, you know, you could only do five with that green band when you started, and now you can do 20 with the red band. Um, so you think, cool, I'm, I'm stronger now. That rotator cuff is really strong. But it's not that rotator cuff muscle that got stronger necessarily. It's all the other stuff that got better at compensating. So then you go, cool, I'm, I'm done. And, uh, you know, maybe your pain went away because your body got so good at compensating that the compensation was so strong that it was enough to – to get rid of whatever pain you had. So then you stop doing your boring physio exercises and then we know use it or lose it. We get a regression in that, that strength um, uh, of that compensation. So the muscles get gradually weaker because they're not receiving the stimulus. And then lo and behold, your pain comes back. All the while that infraspinatus never did anything throughout that whole six month <laughs> rehab, right? So you're back to square one. So you need to go back to physio, go and do this for another six months and build your compensation pattern up again. And then the same process happens year in, year out. And that's why we get clients, you know, you know, that have been to multiple physios for decades. And I'm not this is not to say that physio is bad or wrong or anything like that. It's just that there's a step that needs to take place first before we go into all the strengthening stuff. And that's where MAT really has a place. It's a very small sort of niche, a very small segment of uh, what we deal with MAT. And that's getting the muscles firing first. What do you say? It's almost it's like the analogy of a chain in the link. And if that link is broken, then the chain won't hold almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? Yeah, 100%. Because like, I, I, I presume a lot of the reason why say for example, people feel they have massive, like say from an aesthetic point of view, like lagging body parts, all the reason for that would probably be the fact that they can't activate that muscle effectively. And as you said, they've probably got muscles that are overly dominant and they're firing first and are actually like taking over the movement when they shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, totally. We see, we see that so much, you know, with people that are, um, we saw it with you with, uh, with your, is it with your pec? Or, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we activated that and it's like literally instant growth you know instant muscle growth and then you go and train it the next time and it's it's on fire you know it's it's lighting up um so yeah totally the um the most scary thing that obviously we've done i think three sessions together so far i need to get a fair few more is you i knew i've had an issue with it for a while was my left oblique and i messaged you at the weekend being like jesus christ i'd uh i did deadlifts the first time in a while and the next day i woke up and my left side of my obliques was like had most hardcore doms I've had in a long time from where it actually fired for properly for the first time. And there's actually yeah. this earlier today as well, to be fair, that I've started doing a lot more ab training because I've changed my training split to one day on, one day off, so I've got more time to do it. And I've, I can massively notice the difference in terms of how my whole core contracts now much better than it was previously. Like even doing things like a, a cable rope crunch, like I can engage so much better from the like lengthened position where initially I was struggling to almost as it will almost like hook the weight onto the muscle, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I think it's one of those things like your body is a big system. So if you've got, in particular in your midsection, your core, if you've got a big part of that, that's not actually working effectively, everything else is going to be 
a bit of a mess trying to overcompensate around it and you're you're almost your your body's gonna be weakening itself like turning the power down everything because it's, it's inhibiting everything because of the instability absolutely you know uh, the the stability is a prerequisite for force output right so if you've got instabilities and weaknesses in your core then that's going to limit you know how much strength your legs can can produce yeah um so yeah totally and when you get those muscles activated there's just a whole new level of of uh of strength that you can tap into it's just the the conscious feeling of how the muscle engages is very very different very very different um so yeah, yeah. i'm intrigued to see how that goes for the next few weeks so um in terms of obviously muscles becoming turned off would you say there's any particular reason why that tends to happen is it where people maybe their training form gets worse or injuries or change of training style or anything in particular yeah it's, it's kind of a combination of all those things um so any form of stress trauma or overuse um can create this uh, situation where muscles will become inhibited so if your training technique is pretty poor um and you're just kind of flinging flinging weights around that can cause a lot of stress and inflammation um which can then in turn desensitize the muscle spindles and you're going to experience muscle inhibition and muscle tightness in the opposing muscle groups um but yeah certainly injuries as well if you you know you roll an ankle you sprain your ankle you're going to get muscles that will be inhibited due to the stress and trauma of the injury um and then your body will kind of go into a bit of an overprotection mode right so it's a bit like your body always tends to overprotect um if you have a high glycemic meal your sugars the blood sugar is going to go high and your insulin will will kick in and your body will always kick a bit of extra insulin into bring those blood sugars down um and then you'll go hypoglycemic right you get hungry yeah. and, uh, and all the rest of it um so it's the similar kind of thing when you get injured your body will inhibit muscles your nervous system will, will will inhibit muscles so that you can't use that joint or that area right because it's physically weak it's painful um, so all these things are designed to to force you to rest so that it can heal. Um, but then we've got that overprotection response whereby when the soft tissue injury is finally healed, which happens fairly quick, right? A bone fixes in, what, six weeks and, you know, ligaments a few months. And, you know, so that will all sort of heal. But then we wonder why we get pain and, and, and issues, you know, a year or two later uh, after all that soft tissue injury is healed uh, and that's because the nervous system has kept those muscles in this protective state it's kept them in this inhibited state and that inhibition is then causing protective tightness in the opposing muscle groups and also causing compensation um, which like we talked about earlier just kind of webs its way up your whole system so you know from your ankle injury that you had five years ago you could be experiencing lower back pain or or shoulder pain um, and you'd think that the two are completely unrelated um, when in fact that could be the root cause in regards to um, muscles being inhibited would there be any telltale signs that you say for anyone listening in terms of they might have some of these issues like anything that anyone should look out for totally the, fir the first one is muscle tightness so if, if you feel tight you know, if you, you know, you go to put your, tie your shoelaces up or something and, and you feel tightness in your hamstring, um, you've got some inhibition somewhere. Um, if you can't get into a certain position, if you're struggling to turn your head one way, but the other way goes fine, then you've got some muscle inhibition. Um, 
So looking at, you know, tightness as being secondary to muscle weakness is, is how we view, view that with MAT. Um, it's the, the tightness is a symptom of the inhibition. So, um, and that's a whole another sort of rabbit hole of uh, discussion we can go into today about tightness and, and how that relates to things. But um, yeah, so if you have tightness, so that's a sign of inhibition. If you have pain, there's a sign that there's inhibition. Um, and we're talking about sort of, you know, more sort of chronic pain here, right? So if you bang your elbow on the door frame, it wasn't because of inhibition that you banged your elbow. It's because you banged your elbow, right? So that's, that's hurting for a kind of different reason. But if you wake up one morning and you, you know, your knees all twingy and doesn't seem to go away for weeks, then you are probably suffering from muscle inhibition. Okay. The cat's come to say hello. <laughs> um, in regards to the muscle inhibition, then obviously this is something that can happen like at any stage of life. But do you think that tends to become more prevalent as people get older and age? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Um, as we get older, we you know tend to you know the the in imbalances that we had when we were younger um, start to have a more detrimental effect on our system as we get older. Um, so this whole idea of compensation, you know, if a muscle's inhibited, other muscles have to take up the slack and compensate. And that's a great thing, right? It, it allows us to get out of bed in the morning. If it wasn't for compensation, we'd be screwed. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's a great thing that our bodies compensate so well um, in the short term. But um, that compensation comes at a price over long term. So we get, you know, the muscles that are compensating and becoming uh, more stressed. Um, that stress then creates more inhibition in those muscles that are compensating. So basically we get in this kind of cascading effect of muscles shutting down over time um, until, you know, as the years go on, eventually nothing is working optimally. Okay. And we have a whole bunch of inhibition and that's when, you know, we start to develop arthritis um, and all sorts of joint degeneration. We're getting frozen shoulders. Stuff just won't move um, because we've got to the point where there's nothing left to compensate, nothing left to work. Um, so it's over, over the years, it does things do decline and decline. So eventually we're frail and just can't move. And that's the number one reason, like, unfortunately, like a lot of elderly people actually end up dying is people don't realize this, is that they end up getting to the point where they actually, they end up dying effectively in essence because they're weak. So they end up falling over, breaking the hip, going to hospital and they die from that. So it's not actually, it's their own physical weakness in terms of from a strength point of view that ends up putting them in the position where they end up in hospital and then unfortunately passing away because they haven't managed to maintain their physical strength essentially. 100% and it's, it's, it's so sad because, you know, um, I think frailty is in the top five causes of death in the world and nobody should be dying of frailty. Not no. with what we know about health and the muscle system. Um, nobody should be dying of frailty. Would you, like, and for me, I think what's, this was frustrating. There's a massive lack of um, education and, and the knowledge is there, but it's just not shared and put in front of people to be made aware of, I think and the importance of it. Yeah. It's not rocket science. It's not difficult for people to do. Uh, I'm not asking for them to go out there and deadlift 200 kilos every other week or whatever, but it's like small amounts of resistance training can make a huge amount of difference in that respect. Absolutely. Um, obviously, talking about the difference from strength training, we talk about um, flexibility and like 
range of motion when it comes to MAT. So something that I think we actually spoke about in person was quite interesting. A lot of people you see get the most injured are often people do yoga because they're overly flexible, but they do not have the strengths to control end range of motion or, or, or be strong at the end range of a, a movement. Um, what are your thoughts in terms of like mobility and flexibility? Because like, one of the most interesting things I always find is people say, if you, if you lift weights and you become a bigger guy, that you're going to become tight and all jacked up and you shouldn't be able to move. But if, if you look at example, like some of the best bodybuilders in history, like they can do the splits and they're super mobile. So I don't think the two necessarily go in hand. I think it's just very stereotyped. It is, and it's a huge misconception, uh, you know, uh, and it's something that I used to believe in 15 years ago, that, you know, if you don't stretch your muscles after a, a weight session, then your muscles are going to get short, you know, and over time, you're going you're gonna to be like this, and, you know, you're not going to be able to straighten your arms, and it's, it's complete BS, you know, it's not how the body works. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back to the whole mobility thing, with MAT, we're looking at... Um, what muscles are responsible for taking you to the position you want to get into? And are, there, are they able to contract optimally? Because that's essentially what movement is, right? It's, it's muscle contractions. Muscles only pull. They never push. Yeah? They only shorten. Mm. Um, so if we want to get somewhere um, with a limb, we need to make sure the muscles responsible for taking us into that position we want to get into can shorten and contract. And it is that simple. I think a lot of people forget often that muscles work in pairs. You have the agonist and antagonist and people often don't necessarily think that part of the reason they maybe have uh, keeping in chest injuries is because of weakness from the other side, perhaps. And that's something on like, say, a scapula or a rotator cuff is not activated correctly. Yeah, totally. I mean, movement's just a tug of war around a joint, right? One muscle contracting more than the other one, right? The other, the other muscle never pushes. It just contracts a little bit less right so we get this kind of tug of war thing yeah 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 and then literally then the joint moves either way or the bone moves whichever muscle is pulling more right and that's the way the, the joint will move um the issue i think is is that we don't necessarily feel inhibition right like we feel tightness so if i move my arm back into this position to reach behind me and I'm limited in my mobility, I'm going to feel a tightness in my chest. That's what I'm going to, that's what my sensation will be. I'm not going to think, oh, my scapular retractors are inhibited. They feel a bit <laughs> inhibited. You know, you, you just don't really feel that, right? You feel the tightness. So our thought process is, well, we need to get rid of that tightness because it's that tightness that's preventing me from getting to where I want to get to. So then we go and stretch the pecs and we hang in the doorway and we hang off a TRX and all these kind of things. Um, or, you know, even better, we have somebody behind us with the knees in our back, pulling our arms behind our back, okay, and all this crazy stuff to try to loosen the tightness, okay? Um, but it wasn't this that was the issue all along. It was the muscles around the back that couldn't shorten and contract optimally, and, and that's what was causing the tightness. Again, we're viewing muscle tightness as, 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 as the symptom. Um, but the thing is, your body's tightening, so your chest, in this example, to protect itself because of the instability from behind. Absolutely. So it just goes back to that sort of uh, reciprocal inhibition um, loop, okay? So when a muscle's uh, inhibited, the, the signals are just not getting through from the, uh, from the spindle to the nervous system. 
So that means that the inhibitory signal to the antagonist isn't getting through either. So it goes tight. All right. So that's why we feel in the tightness. So when we activate the muscles that are inhibited, we then get the signal, improve the signal um, quality and efficiency. And then we get the inhibitory signal now going to the antagonist and the pec is just loosens right off. And so we get all the mobility that we could ever need um, without having to stretch or massage or, or doing any of these releasing techniques for the, for the muscles that are tight. So it's kind of a big sort of, it's kind of a red herring, this whole tightness thing, right? It's, it, it's led us down the wrong path for hundreds of years, basically. And there's a big industry built upon that now as well, which mm. is an interesting thing. So it's obviously, and this is yeah. where people have to be very aware of uh, information, research and data in the way that's necessarily put out because it's very easy Say, for example, if you owned a massive, I don't know, physiotherapy business that were huge and you were running your own clinical studies, you could keep running studies for as long as you wanted until you got the results you wanted. Like you could spin anything the way you want. And so you have to be very aware of sometimes how some of the research that's put out there, like what the agenda is behind it. And that's not just obviously from what we're talking about here, but across the board from everything. So I think sometimes people need to read between the lines a little bit about where some of the information has sometimes come from. Yeah. Um, in regards to MAT, I know people are going to be like fascinated about it. what in a practical terms of things. So how are you turning muscles back on in terms of uh, muscle fibers? So people can understand rather it's just some wizardry. <laughs> Magic fingers, right? Yeah. Uh, so we use digital force application. Um, we call it DFMAT, digital force application of the muscle attachment sites technique. Um, which is essentially a palpation. So we're stimulating the sensory organs and the, um, and the tendons, um, which brings about an awareness to the nervous system where that muscle is, and we're sort of getting that reconnect. Um, another way, we also use uh, isometrics, very specific targeted isometric contractions um, to also have the activation effect as well. But the palpations are generally our go-to way of activating the muscle what i found though incredibly fascinating having worked with you is when you say for example you, you put my leg into a certain angle and you'd be like pull against me and there's literally nothing like you can't even yeah. fire because the fire the muscles there are so inhibited that nothing wants to work so you can't resist at all and you suddenly i, I can tell straight away before i even like just being in that position my body doesn't feel switched on if that makes sense yeah yeah totally you know, like the, the wire's not connected there somewhere yeah, and it's kind of like a sixth sense that you start to develop, isn't it? Like the first sort of first, yeah, the first sort of session or two, you know, will take you into positions and, and the muscle tests, and uh, you know, you won't realize uh, how weak you are until I apply the force, and then after a while, you, your nervous system starts to tune into that because all this is happening at the spinal circuits. It's not even before it gets to the brain, um, so that your nervous system knows that that muscle isn't going to contract when I take you into that position, even before I've tested it. And even before you've actually had a chance to think about it. So the more times you experience that, the more in tune your higher centers become. So when I take your limb into a certain position where the muscle is inhibited, you kind of tune into that. You can kind of pick that up and you know, Hey, this just isn't going to hold. I just know I'm going to be weak in this position. Um, so it's a, it's a quite a cool sixth sense to, to develop. It's, um, it's very, very bizarre. Think about it as a, as a random question. Have, 
has this ever been tried with people, say, for example, who've had serious accidents, who have to relearn to walk again in that sort of scenario? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen that with a lot of practitioners. I think Greg's had a lot of uh, patients. Greg Roscoff is the yeah. owner and developer of MAT, um, where people have been in you know, wheelchairs, unable to walk, and then working through the system over time, getting them able to contract better um, so that they're able to walk. So, so yeah, we've seen some incredible um, testimonials. Do you know, of course, where the science behind this came about and how he came up with some of the ideas behind this? And has there been much of an evolution in that since you started practicing in it? Um, yeah, I mean, Greg had an amazing podcast with uh, Ben Pakulski, uh, yeah. where he goes really into depth about the history um, and how he, dis- how he basically um, created MAT, really. Um, so I'd really recommend if anyone's interested in, in the whole history of of MAT to, to go and dig out that podcast with Ben Pakulski and Greg Roscoff because um, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I mean, research is a tricky one, right? Especially in this kind of the whole sort of fitness world um, and strength and things like that. It's, there's so many confounding variables to, to try to control for um, that, um, you know, research is, is very expensive and, um, you know, uh, time-consuming uh, and all these kind of things. So, so Greg is doing a lot of research um, over in the States. There's, there's stuff in the pipeline. There's things going on. MAT is in its relatively sort of early stages, if you, th- if you think about it in the grand scheme of things. It's been around for about 20 years um, as opposed to most of the other modalities that have been around for hundreds of years. So it's, it's, it's in its relative uh, infancy, but um, yeah, there's, there's lots of cool stuff, you know, being done um, on the research side of things. There's, there's some work on really interesting new research on um, how muscle inhibition affects uh, brainwave activity. Well, and that's some really interesting stuff. And that's something that Greg's uh, um, working with a, a team on at the moment. And how when, if you have a lot of muscle inhibition, how that negatively impacts your brainwave activity and can trigger anxiety and mood disorders and, and depression and things like but that. When you think about it logically, you break it down. You think how if you've got muscles inhibited, it turns off other muscles. It would make sense that that would have an effect and turn off other systems within the body and your, I don't know, almost your overall sense of well-being would be thrown because you're not functioning, firing as you should be correctly. Yeah. Totally. And it's, it's just amazing how everything's interconnected, isn't it? And, and you know, what's happening in the, in the brain can affect the muscle system and what's happening with the muscle system can affect the brain. So it, it, it's working both ways. Um, it's not just a one-way system, um, you know. So if we've got a lot of physical dysfunction, then that's having a negative impact on, on your brainwave activity. 100%. What uh, first led you into MAT? How did you first hear about it? Because obviously so, in the UK, like... How many other people are there actually qualified to to do this? Is it you and maybe I think there's a guy in London, and then there's maybe one other. Is it three? There's one. There's one, there's one guy up north. Yeah, up in Macclesfield. Uh, my good buddy Kirk. Uh, there's yeah. There's three of us in the UK that are certified. Um, so it's yeah. It's it, it's a challenge, right? To you know, for people to to have access to, 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 to this, uh, this, this modality. Um, over in the States, there are thousands of, of MAT specialists. Um, but yeah, over in Europe, it's relatively 
relatively new. So um, going back to your, your question about what was... How, how did you first get into MAT and how did you right. come across it? Because obviously you originally come from a training background. Yes. And excellent PT and then you obviously moved into the MAT world as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was at the... Um, we, I don't know if it still goes actually now, but the, uh, the Fit Pro convention at Loughborough Uni is like okay. an annual convention. Um, and uh, my first year as a PT, I went along to this. Um, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know Paul Check, Charles Poliquin. All these guys were coming over doing lectures and master classes. And uh, I didn't know who they were from Adam, right? I was just brand new to everything. So I went along and uh, there was this guy called Greg Roscoff. Never heard of him before, but uh, the lecture sounded really interesting. Um, so it piqued my interest. So I went along. And that really got me thinking, this whole muscle tightness being secondary to muscle weakness thing. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And then I thought, well, great. Walked away from that and uh, everything was fine. And then a year later, I went back to the Fit Pro again. And I thought, right, I want to go to everything that Greg does, right? So, uh, so I went along to his workshop, his masterclass, uh, his lectures, um, tried to soak up as much information about this, this whole idea of muscle tightness being secondary to weakness um came away with some practical things this time from the workshops um i started to use them with clients and we were just getting amazing results even just from doing these simple isometrics so we're getting increases in range of motion that we hadn't seen you know after two years of passive stretching right so it, so the results were amazing so i was like i, I want to learn more about this right so this one and every year every year i went back i went made sure i went to see greg um and really top guy, really humble guy. I remember the, you know, after the lecture, I'd uh, always go up and ask him a few questions and he'd always give me the time, you know, to, to answer my questions and, uh, you know, really, really humble. Um, so it was probably about five years later, um, I picked up a shoulder injury and um, I'd kind of been through the mainstream medical process, right? See my GP and seen a physio and all this kind of stuff. What was um, the injury? It was basically uh, AC joint from overdoing it with the kettlebell snatches. Uh, again, at the time, uh, new youngish PT didn't really uh, appreciate the dangers of uh, the kettlebell snatch, and <laughs> kind of threw myself into it a little bit too much too soon. Um, and that's and it was down to muscle imbalances. I kind of knew that. I knew my left shoulder was traditionally weaker than my right, but I did ten snatches on the right, so got to do ten on the left, right. I uh, should have stopped at six. <laughs> I had to get my 10 in. Uh, and yeah. so Was it one, I'm just out of curiosity, so this is very common, I've seen when people get injured. Did, did you know when, did this happen at one go? Was it a traumatic injury, like a pit, like a tear, or did you? It, it, it was something that kind of, yeah, didn't feel great afterwards, right? Like, as soon as I did it, I was like, I got like an immediate sort of tightness did you so when you were at say rep six for example did you start to think this is starting to go but i'm gonna keep going anyway yeah because you know this, this is right? exactly the same thing so i tore my hamstring and this goes through my mind all the time whenever something doesn't feel right i literally remember the exact moment i was like fuck it it'll be fine just do it i was doing a single leg hamstring car and i tore my hamstring and i was like i literally afterwards i could have cried because i was like i knew it wasn't right and this fucking did it anyway yeah. I had the same thing last night. I was doing leg extensions. I was doing a single leg on like a, a leg extension that was a bit ropey. And I was like, it doesn't feel right. And I was like, mm, fuck it, just do it. And I was like, mm, no, don't do that. Like, Yeah, you learn though, right? You learn. I mean, this this was like, four, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, 
and yeah you learn from that and now it's like if something doesn't feel right you just but, but that's scarred on your memory probably now that that feeling of like this feels a bit off mm. let's like pull back or do something else exactly and, that's it was definitely a learning process right so um but but after that it just didn't seem to get it just seemed to get worse um and obviously my desire to train was still super high yeah. uh, and and the thought of you know having a few weeks rest to let it recover was just you know Hell no, hell no. <laughs> right. So I was kind of trained, trying to train around it and trying to train through it. I, I couldn't do bench pressing anymore. It was too painful. Um, so I'd, I'd do, you know, some cable flies or something just to try to work the chest without putting all that force through it, like a, what a bench press might do. Um, so I was kind of working around it for months and um, I just wasn't getting any better. And I was like, well, how long can I, how long can I put this off getting this fixed? Right. So um, I went back to the GP and, um, and they referred me for an MRI scan and it turned out that they, uh, there was an osteoarthritis developing in the AC joint and they said, we're going to need to operate. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound good. What do you need to do? And, well, I we went to shave off a couple of millimeters of the arthritic bone and create a gap in your AC joint. And I was like, nah, thank you very much. So I thought, well, you know, I've been through all the channels, done the physio, done all this and sports massage and, and everything and nothing had worked. So I figured, well, let's try to find an MAT specialist, right? Because those guys know what they're doing, right? So all the lectures I've been to, just to watch Greg, I thought, well, yeah, hell, these guys know what they're doing with the muscle system. And I'm sure it's a muscle imbalance issue that's caused this in the first place. So um, fortunately, there was a guy in London um, this was like, yeah, it must've been about 13 years ago. Um, and after the first session, I booked in within the first session, I came out of, of, of the session in, uh, without any pain at all. And it was incredible. I'd been suffering for about two years. I'd let this go on for about two years um, and came out of the session pain-free. And I was like, wow, I've, I've got to learn this. Number one, I can't keep affording to travel to London for treatments and pay this guy 150 pound an hour. Um, and number two, I want to learn this for, to help my clients as well, right? So, stroke of luck, power of the universe, I don't know what it was, but uh, power of attraction, law of attraction, um, MAT sent an instructor over to London to do the Jumpstart course, which is a three weekend um, training course to learn about the isometrics, okay? Uh, so, it's kind of like um, that's one of the ways we activate muscles through the isometrics. So, so I was like, great, I've got, to, I've got to go on this. I have to do this. So I went to London and did the, um, the jumpstart course and then re rehab my own shoulder, basically just doing isometrics. It took about six months um, of work, um, but it was pain-free. And to be honest, my left shoulder has been stronger than my right shoulder ever since. It's been, it's been incredible. Um, and the, the pain has never come back. And that was about 12, 13 years ago. So it was uh, a really successful process um and so from that i always wanted to learn more about mat and become a specialist to do that i would have had to go to america to do the 10-month internship um which at the time i just couldn't afford to do so for the next five years after that i just saved up and eventually was in a position to go to the states and do my internship and become a specialist and that was six years ago so I've been uh, practicing as an MAT specialist for six years and as an MAT jumpstart uh, uh, trainer for about 10 years now, 10 or 11 years. So that, that's kind of, yeah, 
the long what's, version, I guess. Of what's how so I interesting about that, though, again, is how you've come to this scenario and why it's so fascinating in that journey. Because again, you've similar to myself had an issue where other people have told you like, I, if, what was interesting is I forgot to mention it is that before I came to see you, I was basically told like the other option was we're going to cut off your heel bone and move it over half an inch. And that should hopefully correct your flat feet. And they're like, it's 50, wow. 50 they're like, it's 50, 50 it'll work and you'll be on crutches for three to six months. And I was like, mm, I don't really fancy that to be honest with you. Um, so yeah. And again, it's one of those things where people are often too easy to go in with surgery. And in that scenario, the same with your shoulder, like when you start messing around with things like that, you don't know how that's going to knock on and affect the other systems within your body. Because say, for example, if I start having surgery in my ankle and that changes the way I move there, the thing can affect my knees, my hip, my back, because my body's adapted and built to accommodate this sort of structure that I have or any structural balances I have. Mm. And if you start cutting around and playing around with these things and bodging it back together, it's not necessarily going to be the answer you want in my opinion. Exactly. And once you've had surgery like that, there's no turning back. No. You know, there's no going, it's not like a stretch where it'll just revert back to how it was. Yeah. Once you've had surgery, that's it. It's been, you know, structurally altered and there's no turning back from that. To uh, start to wrap things up, what would you say to anyone who's sitting on the fence whether they should try MAT, MAT or not? Obviously, I'm coming at this from a fairly, like, fairly honest experience of my journey of how this has completely transformed the way my feet have worked and interesting hearing about how you've become an MAT trainer based on your own experience and fixing an issue you've had as well. So both two case studies of how it works. What would yeah. you say to anyone who's doubtful and they think, oh, I need to stick my chiropractor and deep, deep tissue and all the old, the old school stuff that everyone harps on about that's the only way i think the first thing i'd say is is to honestly ask yourself do you feel that what you're currently doing is working for you um so a lot of basically every client that that i get has been through the mill they've, they've tried everything i'm i'm kind of like i get all the hard clients right like you know the people that have they've tried everything there's nothing left to try um i was often thinking of changing my my name to last chance saloon or something right <laughs> getting the swinging sort of doors you know and some tumbleweeds um but literally it, it you know people are at the end of the tether they've tried everything um so i'd just honestly ask yourself is what i'm doing working and so if you're having to go back to your chiropractor every two weeks or every two months to have the same issue adjusted or whatever it is um then is is that is, is that dealing with a symptom or is it dealing with the root cause and, and fixing the problem so that you don't have to keep going back every couple of months? Uh, so I think that's really the key question to ask. Um, and if you honestly feel that you're just dealing with the symptoms, then book an MAT session and you'll start to be finding out that you get into the root cause of the issue and your issues will be resolved and not keep coming back. So we're making progress through your system every session instead of keep going over the same problem, you know, month in, month out. And what I quite like to think is you're, you're teaching your body to fix itself. Yeah, you, you're basically providing that, that initiation, that, that, that catalyst for your body to then respond, you know. So we, we get the muscle activated, then off you go to the gym, do your stuff, and that muscle is now contributing so whatever stimulus you're placing on it is going to make it stronger and more resilient and increase its threshold uh, to stress. So you're just going to make your body more resilient um, and stronger instead of just causing 
more compensation. 100%. All right, we'll start to wrap things up there, Ryan. So for anyone who wants to reach out and find out some more information about you, what you do and how you can help, obviously you're based down on the South Coast. Uh, what's your Instagram website, contact details? Yeah, so uh, my website is muscleactivationbrighton.com. Um, you can follow on Instagram on it's uh, Philips Fit for Life and four is numerical four. Um, got a Facebook page as well. It's uh, Facebook forward slash muscle activation techniques. Um, yeah, come down, come back in for a free consultation and uh, we'll go through some stuff together. And, uh, we can also do some stuff on Skype as well. So there's, there's some well, online. But you work remotely with people as well, don't you, all over the world? Yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got uh, the option to do that as well. Cool. So thank you so much for that. And anyone who's got any other questions in regards to MAT and how it's helped me, feel free to reach out and drop me a message. Um, now we have actually reopened some places as well for one-to-one coaching clients for CJ coaching. So anyone who's interested, please hit the link below the podcast or the video uh, and fill in the application for free. And you can see if it would be a good fit for us as clients, as we offer youth coaches. And if you guys enjoy the podcast, please leave five-star review and check out Ryan's social media as well. I'll put all of his contact details below in the summary. And if you have any questions, just drop me this message. But uh, thank you so much, Ryan. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We'll see you soon. See you later.